Women's health needs, and especially our hormonal needs, are finally receiving the attention we've deserved for years. And Hormone Harmony, a new sponsor of SelfWork, rates as one of the top five hormonal supplement companies out there. If you're a young woman struggling with that week before your period when moods can be all over the place, and I certainly don't miss that, or older when you're so glad menopause is here, but if you're like me, you sometimes stare at yourself in the mirror and ask, where did I go? Hormone Harmony has become a phenomenon. Women cannot stop talking about it on social media, and a bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. Basically, if you breathe in and out slowly twice, that's the amount of time it takes for one more woman to understand she can reach out for help, no matter what her age, through Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code SELFWORK at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code SELFWORK for 15% off today. This is SELFWORK and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At SELFWORK, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret. And Self-Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self-work. Hi, I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford, and this is the 90th episode of Self-Work. I really can't believe that. Thank you for listening so much and leaving me ratings and reviews that only motivate me more to keep on each week offering you special information and experiences within the world of therapy and psychology. Today, I'm thrilled to have Dr. Susan Averett with me today. She is the founder of a group here in Northwest Arkansas called Parents Left Behind. It is obviously for parents whose children have tragically died. The group has been in existence now for a few years, but it has its fourth annual seminar on August the 25th of this year. So we're going to be talking about more of the details of that particular seminar, Parents Left Behind in general, and get more information about Susan's own very private, tragic journey. She's a pediatrician with 18 years in clinical practice, and she lives in Northwest Arkansas and is the physician owner of Best Start Pediatric Clinic. She's the mother of three living daughters and one angel daughter. Since that daughter's death, Cameron is her name, Dr. Averett has become an advocate for bereaved parents. She founded Parents Left Behind, a group that supports parents on their lifelong journey of grief after the death of a child. Now, this is a very difficult topic. Any of you who may have actually experienced the death of a child who is a loved one, maybe your own biological child or someone you loved, I hope if you're listening that this is helpful to you. But I would also recommend that you reach out for support. And if you're someone who this has not happened to, but you know of others that have had this terrible experience, this life-altering experience, then I hope it'll give you some ideas of how to reach out to those very people who you care about and want to try to help them soothe their grief or simply let them know that you are there. So I want to welcome Dr. Susan Averett.
Susan, it is so great to have you here. You and I have never met. Right. We just met a couple of minutes ago upstairs when I was letting you in the house. So thank you for being here. To let some of you know how I found uh, Parents Left Behind, I actually was feeling somewhat sorry for myself one Saturday morning or one weekday morning, I can't remember, and I got on my Facebook feed and then saw this announcement of Parents Left Behind, and I immediately, of course, changed my perspective because it was about parents losing their child and the tragedy of that. And I reached out to Susan to say, I want to know more about Parents Left Behind and more about what possibly I can do to help. So tell us a little bit about how you formed a support group, Parents Left Behind. Well, I have experienced the loss of a child myself, and my daughter died in 2006. And so for the first few years after that loss, I worked really hard to process my grief by going to counseling and trying to find support group and Mm -hmm. trying to make connections with other people who had lost a child. And I found that there was um, a relative lack of resources for parents who have lost a child. Um, But as a a physician in medical field, I just pursued what I felt like I needed to do for myself to the point where um, over the years, I felt like I had uh, made a lot of progress on my grief journey. And then one day... So in the process of helping others, you also helped yourself. Well, this, but this was prior to me starting to help others. I just felt like I was at a point in about 2014 where I po- probably could maybe develop the ability to help other people. Okay. Um, I had a patient that um, I was seeing whom I had diagnosed with a, a, a disease that ultimately I felt like was going to be fatal. Mm-hmm. I was a young child, oh my goodness. and I remember that was on a Friday, and that Sunday when I was sitting in church, I was just weeping. I just felt very sad for the journey that I felt like this mom was going to be starting. Sure. And I thought, there's got to be something that I can do in some way that I can reach out to other parents. Can't make it better, no. but I can reach out to other parents and provide them some help in some way that makes them feel like they're not alone on this journey. Just provide support in some way. Well, I want you to know as a local therapist, I have wanted this kind of group myself. There used to be one many years ago by a man who whose son had committed suicide. It was specifically for parents whose children had committed suicide. But that group long ago went away. And now I know there's another group, which we'll talk about a little bit. But I'm delighted and humbled that you were able to use your own loss in this way. Obviously, you had to wait until you were ready. Right. And that's one of the points that is very important, that everyone's journey is unique. So I'm sure you stress that. Well, you know, it's um, we make sure that people know that we're not trying to fix them or cure them because it's a condition that we never recover from. So we just want people to know that wherever they are on their grief journey, there are other parents that have either been there before or going through the same thing that Mm -hmm. they can get to know by participating in our seminar. Sure. Well, even in your bio, which the listeners may remember me reading a few minutes ago, you described it as a lifelong journey of grief. And I wonder if you could take a minute to describe how you were, well, it's so complicated to say how you're different, but maybe how you could describe your own life before Cameron's death and how you would describe it since and now in the present time. Well, um, when Cameron died, I was um, 35. 
I was a mother of three daughters. I was a pediatrician in a small town in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband was a stay-at-home dad, and we were raising our daughters and having a busy life that was not free from pain but was um, fulfilling, and we were happy. And then suddenly Cameron died, and everything changed. Yeah. And you kind of know the second that it happens, you feel your heart rip open, and you know that everything's changed, and and you're just never the same again. And mm-hmm. so we we call it a rebuilding. You spend your time rebuilding your life after the death of your child because the life you knew beforehand is gone. Right. It's it's uh, irrevocable. It's unalterable right. at that point. Unfathomable, and then just dramatic and definitive. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure the listeners understand that um, certainly as a therapist, I can't have experienced everything that my patients have experienced. I have not experienced this myself, but I have tried to help many couples who have lost children through miscarriage or stillbirth or an accident or an illness or suicide, whatever. And it, there is something about the look in those parents' eyes that there are no words that I can say to help them with that. The pain is is excruciating, and certainly I think the thing that mental health or therapists have to offer is certainly just a space where they can express that freely because it is so difficult to find that space in that environment in their normal everyday life. Perhaps at first they can express it, but after the loss has been maybe months away or years away, people don't understand that you are still as you say, rebuilding your life. Right. And that, unfortunately, people want to think that grief goes away in six months. And this kind of grief certainly, in my experience, it's only just being processed at that point. Right. I mean, you spend the rest of your life grieving. Mm-hmm. You are a griever now. Mm-hmm. That is one of the roles that your life has given you. You're a griever, and you always will be. Wow. Would you like to tell us a little bit about Cameron? Um, Cameron was my firstborn, and she was five years old. She was very intelligent and very beautiful, just like every mother would say about her (laughs) own child, um, but very special. Um, She was tiny. She um, had a little trouble gaining weight that first year, and she only weighed about 15 pounds when she turned one. Oh, wow. So as a pediatrician, I'm like, I think that's probably about the smallest one-year-old I've ever (laughs) taken care of. But um, we put her on some high-calorie Shakes and she started to put some weight on. She um, was fast learner, um, very active from a very early age. Uh, she did gymnastics. She could sing. She memorized the Lord's Prayer and said it in church when she was three. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and then um, when she died, she was in kindergarten. I see. Are there important things about your own grieving process or about how you feel now? that have changed the way you understand the grieving process that maybe would be helpful for other people to hear? Um, I had known someone when I was in residency that had lost a child, and she was one of my mentors. And, of course, I was almost like a kid when I was there, you know, in my late 20s. And then this was several years later. And when Cameron died, I wanted to talk to her. Mm -hmm. And she called me back that day. But she said, Susan, I don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized that 
there really wasn't anything that you could say to make it better. Right. Because who would know better than that than somebody who'd been through that? And I was looking for someone to tell me something that would make me feel better or would fix it. Mm-hmm. And over time, I realized that it wouldn't be fixed. And so, yes, there are lots of things that I've learned about grief. But I would say some of the main things that I try to talk to people about, you know, people say, I didn't want to, I'm sorry, I didn't know if I should mention Cameron because I didn't want you to start thinking about her and right. be sad. As if you've ever stopped thinking and about that's her. that's the thing. Especially in the first, I don't even know, four, three years, thinking about her all the time. Mm-hmm, sure. So you can never make someone think about the child that they've lost by mentioning the child that they've lost or saying, I'm sorry for your loss. And so, in fact, if you don't mention it, it's more painful, especially in the beginning. Well, that's really important for us to hear. all you're thinking about. So if someone says... I'm going to take Susan out and try to get her mind off of it, you know, and it's been two months or something ridiculous like that. Uh, I can remember people trying to spend time with me and not talk about it. And wow. I was miserable and couldn't of do course, it. Of course. I couldn't do it. So, you know, you just have to meet the person where she is. Mm-hmm. It's important not to have an agenda for yourself because mm-hmm. sometimes I feel like people say things to me or would say things to a grieving parent to to make themselves feel better unintentionally, but, you know, just the wrong thing because their agenda was not really to help me, but just to, you know, talk to me and then they would feel better. To almost soothe themselves. Yeah, because they don't want to relate to it in a way. Mm -hmm. So they, a lot of times I think people who have been through something, when other people think about it, they say, well, that couldn't have happened to me because, and in their mind they line up all the reasons and it makes them feel safe. They're distancing themselves Yes, and so I think sometimes people would say things that almost would explain why it wouldn't happen to them, you know. And a lot of times they blamed it on your faith. You know, your faith must be so strong that God would let something like this happen to you. Or, God, you know, they say God only gives you what you can handle and things like that. And it's like, I don't want to hear that. No, of course not. I did not volunteer for this. I remember several people whose faith was very strong, and yet they— their rage with their faith and with God was palpable in the room, and they didn't know what to do about it. They just had to slog through it and try to figure out what they were going to figure out. You know, there's such complicated feelings, and some are hard to talk about, like a strange feeling about you're not angry toward the person who died, certainly not the child, but you're angry that it happened. Right, And so that's very hard to talk about, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's not, a, again, there are not a lot of spaces where you can do that. I want to talk a little bit about how this affected your marriage. I think the common myth is the fact that many, many couples divorce or or partners separate who have this, um, this horrible thing happen. And yet the percentages are actually much lower than people think they are. But I know that it obviously... In my experience with couples who this has happened to, they they often came at their grief very, very differently and trying to handle the loneliness of that plus the loneliness of the grief itself was sometimes very, very, I keep saying difficult, very complicated. Well, (laughs) that's all true. Um, I would say that right after the death, when I would get, I got some books and tried to read through some Mm -hmm. books about you know, there are different approaches to, you know, the what 
their self-help books. Uh, but I did read a lot of books about how hard it would be on your relationship. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I really wanted to be aware of those statistics, whether they were right or wrong. Just know that there was a risk so that you wouldn't be, you know, be ignorant of the fact that it would affect your marriage. Right. Um, for me personally, I think the biggest difference in how, I mean, you mentioned that men and women grieve differently. And I find that some husbands and wives, like, like I'm an active griever and I do things. Mm-hmm. I go to therapy. I go to support group. I try to write poems. I try to, um, you know, I develop a su- support yeah. <laughs> seminar. Right. And I, I, I grieve outwardly by being energetic and doing things. And my husband is more compartmentalizing and he, he just hasn't gone through the steps to work through his grief in the same way that I have. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, we're both grievers, and we've grieved differently, and we've made our marriage work, but it's not easy. No, but I, I would say any marriage is difficult. I mean, I'm in my 40s, and you know, lots of friends and close friends and family members have gone through divorces, and we're still together. Um, and I would just say, you know, he's my person, he's my team, but it's not easy because we're not in the same place emotionally with our grief most of the time so after cameron's death you you already had two other biological children and you decided to have a third right what was that like for you to make that decision i felt like i was a mother of three and so i I didn't i wasn't trying to replace cameron i was just trying to balance it back out Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And I was 35. <laughs> I don't know. I just was like, if I'm going to do this, I think it needs to be now. Mm-hmm. And um, I, um, you know, just told my husband I want to have another baby. And he said, okay, he usually does what I say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember telling my mom, because I didn't, it's not like I said to the world, I'm going to try to get pregnant. It's just something we did privately. Sure. But when I told my mom, she was, she always is so excited for, you know, grandkids, but it was such a shock to her hmm. that I was going to have another baby because she was still deep in her grief as a grandmother. Sure. And um, I didn't really want to have to explain it. I just, it's one of those things that you just, I just felt like I needed, I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And through the months I was pregnant, you know, my mom was, my, she's always been my biggest fan and my closest friend, but so she came on board. But I just remember, you know, the initial shock on her face that she couldn't hide when she found out I that see. I was pregnant. Well, I can understand that. And it's hard to be in these unique places and spaces in her own grief and then watching you do something differently or something she doesn't quite understand that I would think that that was very, very normal. Yes. And I mean, it was just a different response than I would have gotten from announcing a pregnancy in any other circumstance. Sure. And I had to um, incubate a baby in my first year of grief. And so, yeah, it was a lot. Mm -hmm. How are your living daughters now? Well, they're amazing, like any (laughs) mother would say. So Cameron would have been 18 at this point and would have graduated from high school this past year. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Kennedy is my second daughter, who is now my 
reluctant oldest child, Mm -hmm. and she was 14 months younger than Cameron, so she is now starting her senior year. Oh, wow. And Lots she, of empty nest going. On she's there. in. She's still in my house. Um, starting, <laughs> but she is um, a senior at Fayetteville High. She's seventeen, and she is very smart, very beautiful, and very athletic, mm. and super sweet. And then um, Brooklyn was uh, fifteen months old, and in my arms when Cameron was hit. Oh my! Goodness. And uh, she is now thirteen. And is starting eighth grade. And oh. she's grown a lot this last year. So she's all of a sudden up at the same height almost as I am. <laughs> and it's always like, what are you doing up here? Um, mm-hmm. But she is creative and funny. And uh, as she has a lot of friends. And she is also smart and athletic. My girls all play basketball. Uh, and then Carrington, Carrington Hope, is my 11-year-old. She was born... A year and about two weeks after Cameron died, okay. February first, actually, of uh, two thousand seven, and she is super affectionate mm-hmm. and fun loving, and um, she tries to make everybody happy when we're irritated at each other. <laughs> and she's goofy; she laughs at herself a lot, and um, and then her older two sisters say, "You're not funny," um, but she kind of is. Other people think she's hilarious. Um, she's never met a stranger, and she can relate to people who are all different ages. So she can sit here and talk to an adult just like she was an adult and then sure. go play with a five-year-old. Hmm. Last question before we start talking more specifically about parents left behind. Okay. I'm sure their grief has been very different than your own, and how have you helped them understand it? Well, we never let Cameron go unmentioned, and we never pretend that she didn't exist Mm -hmm. Um, she's a part of our whole lives and what we do Um, for kennedy kennedy lost her best friend and older sister and she was truly traumatized she was Mm -hmm. four Mm -hmm. Uh, and as a pediatrician i know that developmentally the grief hits different people at different ages and i've just tried to be hyper aware of the grief in different situations that she's been through because she's had some struggles um not major struggles but Maybe some phobias and some anxieties at different ages that we've worked through and gone to short bursts of therapy with her Mm -hmm. to deal with and work through some of those issues. Uh, And then we just try to talk to her whenever she wants to talk about it and just keep Cameron's memory alive. Um, Brooklyn was a baby when Mm -hmm. Cameron died, but I can only imagine what we must have been like in those first formative years of her life being so traumatized by grief and so she has she would tell herself stories to keep herself kind occupied. of soothe herself mm-hmm. and um so from a very she almost couldn't speak but she would walk back and forth and talk to herself and we didn't really understand it necessarily then but as she got older she would just say i'm just telling myself stories wow and so I think that was she, a coping. She mechanism. knew her own her own wisdom told her what to do. Her own right. ability to gosh, how do I need to take care of myself? How, yes, mm-hmm. and she she's a very good storyteller. Even when she writes, she was sometimes write papers about you know science, and oh. there's all this creativity in there with oh, characters neat. and personalities, like raindrops that have names and things like oh, that. Well, great. And so um, she. She really has not 
needed any sort of grief support other than just our family and being together and talking about it. Sure. Um, and then Carrington came along after Cameron was mm-hmm. gone. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she knows about Cameron and she understands what happened and she feels a connection with Cameron and she, you know, things make her sad. And when she's sad, she might say like a sad song. She goes, this song reminds me of Cameron. She would say that when she was younger. Oh, I see. And so, and her name is Carrington. They start and in Cameron and Carrington start and in the same. So sometimes we accidentally say the wrong name. So oh. I don't know. <laughs> it's just a Freudian slip, but that's just, um, like, that's just one thing. Um, I have a story about um, Carrington's birth that is kind of one of those things that makes me a little bit more of a believer in my faith because Mm -hmm. I truly have struggled uh, with my anger with God and just Mm -hmm. with my faith. And it's not the same as it used to be, but it's different and I think more realistic because I think prior to that I was in a little bit of a fantasy. You know, you don't expect your life to be perfect, but you don't expect no, like that to happen no, and, and it kind of turns you upside in down in fact if in any of, of us thought it, it was about to happen we'd literally go crazy i mean we couldn't live with that kind of anticipation yeah, and no. fear mm-hmm. but so i got i was pregnant and i was due february 7th and cameron's anniversary of her death was january 19th mm-hmm. and as we moved into the new year that year 2007 i kept saying I just want January to be for Cameron. So I hope that the baby comes in February. Right. And so I had gone to the doctor the last week of January and they said, well, let's plan to induce you like the day before your due date or something like that, February 6th. Well, at four o'clock in the morning on February 1st, I I started, my water broke, which is exactly the same way that my labor started with Cameron. The other two, that wasn't the way my labor started, wow. but with Carrington at 4 a.m., which was about the same time that I went into labor with Cameron in the same way on February 1st. Wow. <laughs> so sure. I got January for, for Cameron, and then Carrington came the next day. And February was hers. February 1st. <laughs> so that, to me, is pretty darn cool. That. Well, and I think being able to find joy in that is also a part of what your own unique path was like and you just you know you you experiencing that way and feeling this connection with Cameron must have been very very special and painful all at the same time actually yes so let's go on and, and talk a little bit about parents left behind what people who want to come on Saturday the 25th I believe is it from 9 to 1 or it's from 9 to one thirty. Nine to one thirty. Um, and registration begins at 8 30 okay and there is, we have our website and there is a registration tab and we request that people register ahead of time just so we can get a head count but it is not required so if somebody doesn't register and wakes up that morning and wants to come they should come um, but um, it will be the event will be from 9 to one thirty, and um, we will start off with an opening kind of ceremony opening remarks mm-hmm. that I will lead um, and this year we are going to um, focus on four different areas of grief that we have come up with as a committee um we call them the question some of the questions that people ask or struggle with some of the struggles yes and those will be our breakout sessions so after during the 
initial part will introduce four people. One of them's me, and then three other people. Mm-hmm. And there'll be a video clip that each person will tell what their struggle was in that particular area. And then that those will be the breakout sessions. Okay. Um, and that basically, one thing that I do um, and have done through the years, but less often now than I used to, is write poetry. So I always write a poem for the event. Mm-hmm. And so I'll read my poem and share that information about what the day is going to be like. And then we'll go to the breakout session. And where is this? This is at Central United Methodist Church in Fayetteville okay. in the student ministries um, building. It's the building on the most north end of and the that's campus. Dixon Street. I think it's 503 um, West So Dixon, Dixon is on the south end, and it's actually on Lafayette, the next street up. Oh, okay. um, you'll go in through the parking garage and and, and to the upper story that um, of the student ministries building. But we'll have people there um, guiding people and showing them where to go. Okay. And what have people given you feedback that they experienced in other years? This is your fourth year. This is our fourth year, and I always say we're kind of a grassroots, you know, group that we don't have like there's not like a national committee or something that tells you. <laughs> so we just kind of get together and say, how do we want to approach it this year? And we change it a little bit from year to year. We do take feedback from the participants. And one thing that we're doing this year that's different than we've done in the past is it's going to be more interactive. Great. Some of the feedback that I've received is just I the main thing that I get out of it or the thing that's most important to me is being able to meet other parents who have lost a child and maybe network with other parents and see that look in their eyes. Right. (laughs) And so this year we are um, hoping that people will get to be able to share their story and, and, and talk to other parents who have struggled with similar issues and get feedback directly from other parents. Great. I think that will be wonderful. I know that in fact, one of your participants and I were talking this morning because we're co-leading one of those breakout sessions. And he reminded me that, Although you never think that you will be happy again or that you will have the ability to at least find some joy in your life because of this irrevocable kind of problem, Mm -hmm. that you will find it, but you may not be able to do something like this early on in your loss. Um, It's just too soon. And you'll have to... If you're a parent or a grandparent or someone else who's thinking about coming to this program, you're going to have to think about whether or not it is too soon for you or whether you would find it supportive. And, of course, if you get overwhelmed, there will be counselors there. There will be people there to help you. You don't have to stay. Right. You can can leave at any time. You Mm -hmm. can walk out of any room. Um, it's the the event is for the participants, and so we don't want people to feel like they have to do anything. Right. Um, you don't have to talk if you don't want to talk. You can just listen. But we found in the past that we were trying to give more tools and more um, almost like teaching sessions in mm-hmm. the breakout. Whereas this year we will address you know some commonalities and some and some teaching points hopefully, but more of the time will be spent just talking to other parents who've had similar um, Great. losses. And so that is, that's definitely different. Um, but I think being able to see it may have been a year or it may have been eight years, but you'll have people that have survived eight or even 12 years for me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and look at that person and say, okay, well, I 
she somehow still has her feet on the ground and breathing air and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know doing things giving and so some hope of some maybe kind. i'll survive mm-hmm. you know yeah. maybe i'll survive um and you are your survivor you're you're surviving the loss of your child and so you don't think you can do it and and that is one of the things people say to me i don't think i could do it it's like well i didn't plan it i didn't yeah. sign up for it on purpose but lo and behold the sun came up and you know my bills kept coming and people's <laughs> babies mouths need to be fed and my life kept going on around me whether i was in it or not mm-hmm. and so you can't do it but you have to so you do right well, I want to thank you for being here. We're going to try to send this out to Northwest Arkansas so as many of the people that need to hear this message will be able to hear it and participate if you're ready and if you think it'll be supportive. If you have any questions, um, who, who do they contact? They just We have a Facebook page okay. and a website. It's parentsleftbehind.org or just Parents Left Behind on Facebook. Our phone number is listed on both of those. Perfect. Um, and then we have, uh, you can email us and you can register for the event there. Great. Well, thank you, Susan, not only for being here on Self Work, but for using your life and your loss to reach out to other people. And we are better for it as a region. And certainly the people that attend are better for it. So thank you. Well, thank you, Margaret. And we are very glad to have you on board oh, on our team this year. So. I'm thrilled to be there. So I'll see you on Saturday the 25th. Yes. I'll (laughs) see you then. Okay. Take care. I want to thank you for listening to Self Work today. I know this topic is a very painful one, but certainly for those people who've had the same experience as Susan Averett and her husband and her entire family, I hope that it's been helpful. Please, if you know someone who's gone through this, please share this podcast with them. They may not know about Self Work, obviously, but this topic would be vital for them to understand that they are not alone. Far from it. I'll be back next week, and I'll look forward to hearing from you about this interview as well as others. If you're liking the interview format or how I might could make it better for you, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Thanks so much to the people who've left recent reviews. Certainly know that you can subscribe wherever you listen, or you can head on over to my website at drmargaretrutherford.com. And sign up there where you receive a weekly blog post and a weekly podcast. Nothing else, I promise. So again, my gratitude to you for being a listener. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work. <laughs>